Um, so it was Shabbos afternoon, and the Baal Shem Tov was with his Hasidim. And they're singing and singing and singing, and suddenly they stop. And the Baal Shem Tov says, the lights of the West, the Ner Amaravi, has just been extinguished. And they didn't really understand what, the Hasidim didn't understand what the Baal Shem Tov was talking about. Until after Shabbos, they realized that right at that moment, of Chaim ben Atar, the Ora Chaim Akadosh had passed away. And the Baal Shem Tov, as you mentioned, said that if he would have been able to pair up the Ora Chaim Akadosh, their holiness could have brought the Mashiach. They were so holy together. And they asked, Rebbe, how did you know you live so far away? You're in Poland, he's in Morocco, or maybe he was in Israel at that point, I don't remember. How do you know that, how do you know that he passed away? Moshe Abdov answered that there's each generation, there's a potential Mashiach, someone who could be the Mashiach. Mm. And whoever that is, the secret of Natila Tadaim is passed down to that person. And right at that moment, it came to me. When he was washing his hands. Yeah. When he was singing, when he was singing the, the Shalashiris Nigun. In other words, he, who was the previous Mashiach of the generation? Of Chaim ben Atar. And when he passed away, it came to the Baal Shem Tov. So they had this amazing holiness. The Chaim ben Atar sanctified himself in every way. What's amazing about it is Sefer, the Orachayim, the Kadosh. He went to the mikvah after he would go to the bathroom. Really? Yeah. That, that would be old. Now, that I never heard of. But I know, I know it's Sefer. Uh, actually, a miracle how I, le- I got this Sefer. I got to learn it better. But what's amazing about learning the Orachayim and Kadosh is that it's Pshat. It's Remez, it's Kabbalah, it's, it's, it's Pshad, it's Drushes of Chazal, it's everything all in one. It's an amazing, amazing commentary, and that's why it's you know, world famous. And you know, you need to learn to, not a real Talmud Chacham until you learn Or Chaim on the Torah, which is why I'm not yet at Talmud Chacham. And as we know, he was buried. He, at the end of his life, he made Aliyah to Israel. He was revealed to him. He has him. his Beit Knesset right, right next to us. And he's, he's buried in Harizay team. Hashem, Sheikh will come soon and he'll come back to us. And the stories, there are many, many miracle stories about his grave. That Both gonna... me and uh, the other guy were born, or birthdays are today. Really? Yeah. Amazing. Wow, yeah. so you're very connected to Orachayim. I don't know much about him. But... So you were learning, so we're learning. So Orachayim, then they tried to plow over, in between 48 and 67, we didn't have the, we didn't have the rights over Harizé team, and at other times too, but... When uh, they wanted to get rid of the grave of the Or Chaim Hakadosh, the tractor flipped over. They oh. sent another tractor; second one flipped over. Yeah. They sent the guy with a hammer; it ended up also hurting him or killing him. I don't remember. But it was his, he was so holy, even in death, that these miracles were happening. And uh, really, these really happened. Yeah, real story. I'll tell you another a real story with a guy with a name, Boyon or Chosid. I just read this on the Babur website that uh, once, a few years back, he used to learn the Orachayim at the Orachayim Kadosh, And, you know, it's a little bit not such a safe uh, in, uh, neighborhood there. And a terrorist came up with a knife. And he felt scared that like he was going to kill him. And he davened, please, Hashem, in the schools of the Orachayim, save me, save me, save me. And he looked back, and the terrorist was frozen. And 
this is not like above my for hundreds of years ago. This is like, you know, 20 years ago this happened. It's happened 20. Yeah, frozen? Yeah. yeah, it was just like, not like frozen. Like he was totally scared. Huh. And like he ran away. And this goes to the Orachim. Another story about, I'll tell you a story about him in, in his life. We taste a little bit of the righteousness of the holy Orachim. Orachim was so devoted to learning Torah that he would make a little bit of money. He was a weaver. And then when he had enough money for the month, he would stop and learn. All he would do is learn. Wow, and bizarre. and the king came over to him and, and said, my daughter's wedding's soon. I need you to do this work for me. I'll pay you very lavishly. And he said, I'm sorry, I did enough work for the month. Now I'm learning Torah. Come back to me next month. The king said, my daughter's wedding's this month. Rechaim said, I'm sorry. The king sent the messenger. He said, if, 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 you don't, yeah, it's amazing. if you don't do it, the lion's going to eat you. Rechaim wasn't scared. They brought him in. They brought him to the lion's. They put him in the Colosseum. Yeah, and he just said to him, and all of the lions of were lions, just uh, chilling with him. Like we were saying, the Baal Shem Tov, you know, feeling the holiness of, of the holy Orachayim Kadosh. So you can feel the holiness when you learn the Orachayim Kadosh, when you daven is beautiful in his base matters. Nowadays, he's screaming davening like we were talking about with the Baal Shem Tov, and it's a great minion there every day, and it's also a nice museum. And Bezrat Hashem, we should learn his Torahs and connect his Torahs. And he loves Shabbos. He's always talking about Shabbos. And the world's recreated on Shabbos. We should learn his partial Sefer on Shabbos. And Bezrat Hashem, connect deeper to the Orachayim. And in this Chus Orachayim, he should be a Melit Yosef for us. He should daven for us. And everything should be amazing. And you're my Shliach, though. When you go to the Orachayim tonight, please daven for all of Amisrael. Myself included. Bezrat Hashem. Shalom Uvracha. The Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, chapter 5, Mishnah 19, teaches. These are the students of Abraham. And just to paraphrase, the main concept is one of humble spirit. And these, on the other hand, are the children of Bilam, one of arrogant spirit. So the sages kind of put on a pedestal the wicked man from this week's Parsha, Bilam, and contrast him to the Tzaddik, Avraham. Very nice. But I have two questions. First off, why is everybody so harsh on Bilam? It's true that uh, at the end of the day, you know, he was trying to curse the Jewish people, but, I mean, he ended up blessing us. And like he says, I will never contradict the word of God, and indeed he never does. Okay, maybe he wanted to, he tried to curse the Jewish people, but ultimately he doesn't curse the Jewish people, he blesses us, and in fact, I, I, I might even argue that's the opposite of arrogance, that's humility. He wanted to curse us, but ultimately he stifled his desires and did the Ratzon of Hashem. So really my question is twofold. First of all, why are Chazal so harsh on Bilam, comparing him to the, the, the greatest evil person in the world? And second of all, why would you call him arrogant? I would say the opposite. He's, he, 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 he's humble. And, and thirdly, what does he have to do with Avram Avinu? In other Midrashim, Bilam is compared to Moshe Rabbeinu, the, the prophet of the nations versus the prophet of the Jewish people. That I understand, they're both prophets. But what does Avram Avinu, as great as he was, have to do with Bilam? So when we first analyze this Mishnah in Pirkei Avos, not just skimming through it, 
it really is surprising. But as always, when we go deeper, we realize that Chazal are actually keying us in on a deeper shot in the Torah and, and to deeper shot into ourselves. So let's go there. Rabbi Foreman and many others have pointed out is that the Torah itself subtly compares Bilam to Avraham Avinu. Let's give a few examples. First off, what is Bilam's job? So Bala comes to him and says, everybody knows those who you bless will be blessed and those who you cursed will be cursed. Have we heard those words before? Well, I said, yup, of course we have. That's exactly the blessing that the angel gives Avraham Avinu, the angel of God, after the Akedah. Exactly the same language of those who bless, those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be cursed. So ding, 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 we're already seeing some sort of connection between Avraham and Bilam. If that's not enough to convince you, it's Avraham Avinu, in his greatest test by the Akedah, it says, Vayashkim Avraham Baboke, he wakes up early, Vayachavosh Chamor, and he goes on a donkey. Vayikachito, and he takes with him, Shtene Arav, two youth. Does that remind us of the story of Bilam? Well, of course it does. Vayashkem Bilam Baboker. Bilam wakes up early, Vayachavosh Chamor, and he gets his donkey, the famous talking donkey, and he takes two youth. It's actually fascinating. We don't even know what's the goal of these two youths. Why does he take these two youths? But he does, just like Avram. And perhaps the main goal that Chumash is trying to tell us by giving us these details is exactly to do this, to compare Avram Avinu to Bilan. It wants us to be making this comparison and, contra and contrastation, just made up that word, and trying to figure out what, it, what is the deeper connection between these two people? All right, so at this point, what we've established is that this mission in Pirkei is much, much deeper than we thought, and the Torah itself is actually alluding to the connection between Avraham and Bilam. All right, but maybe we'll say, okay, maybe we got it all wrong. Maybe Bilam's a big tzaddik, just like Avraham Avinu, and that's what the Torah is trying to say. But I don't think so. I don't think so. By the way, one more con com comparison that I forgot to mention is the fact that an angel comes and stops Avram Avinu from doing the Akita, and an angel comes and stops Bilam from doing his avoda. So once again, we see, we see a connection between the two stories. But in fact, I think that actually they're, they're exactly opposite. In what sense? And here we get to the depth of the, of the mistake of Bilam. Bilam knows that he only has the power to, to bless, to, 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 he's, a, he's a funnel. He takes the blessing of God and sends it out to the universe. He can't do any more than that. And, uh, and, and that's what he tells Balak, listen, I can only do what God tells me to do. And when he asks God's permission, God's pretty explicit. He says, no, I want you to bless the Jewish people. I don't want you to curse. But when Bilam takes that information back to Balak, he doesn't say the truth. He doesn't see the truth. He massages it. He says, well, God's holding himself back. God's mana, 
He's, he's holding himself back. We need to keep asking him. We need to keep working on him. Give it some time. In other words, it seems like Bilaam on the one hand views himself as a servant of God. But on the other hand, he really wants to curse the Jewish people. He really wants the honor, the money that, uh, that is being offered to him, the prestige. So he keeps trying and keeps trying. And no matter how many times God shows him signs and is even pretty explicit, I don't want you to curse the Jewish people, he keeps going against the Ratzim of Hashem by, by asking God over and over again. Until ultimately, God says, you know, the way you want to go, you want to go, I'll let you go, and I'll use you to bless the Jewish people. I'll use you as a funnel to get what I need done, but not in such an honorable, respectful way. So here we have an example of someone who simply refuses to see the truth, refuses to be honest with himself and see what the true Ratan of Hashem is. In the, in the exact contrast, we have Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu's greatest challenge is when God tells him the words that he wants to hear least in the universe, when God tells him to sacrifice his son Yitzchak. And I can't even imagine that challenge, but Avram Avinu is such a humble spirit that he pushes aside his rutzon, his desire, and, and he tells th puts things as they are. This is what God wants me to do. He wants me to do this. I don't want this. I'm not excited about sacrificing my own son, but I'm not going to deny the reality here. And, I, and he keeps going with it, holding those two things. I see the reality of God. I see my desire, and I'm willing to push aside my desire for the Ratzon of Hashem. And ultimately, he's able to see that. In fact, his Ratzon and Hashem's Ratzon were one and the same. And it was just a, a test. It was just a challenge to see if he would be able to humbly put aside his desire. And so, in fact, Avram and Bilam are actually exact opposites because Avram is exactly the person who sees the, the Ratzon Hashem and does not fake it, does not massage it, He's honest about it, and he's able to humbly put his will aside. Great. A beautiful drasha. How do we apply this to our lives? So uh, I'll tell you, uh, first off, a, a, a cute story that happened to me yesterday that I think exemplifies uh, the, 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 this, this challenge that we have. So yesterday I was uh, teaching in a base midrash, and uh, after the learning, the few, two, three guys we were learning together, you know, we wanted to sing a little bit because it was, you know, we were learning about Shabbos. Now, I didn't want to disturb the people around me in the base medrash, so we sang really lightly. Um, but, you know, maybe after three minutes of this, um, we got a little carried away, not screaming, but someone comes up to us and says, uh, you, sorry, you can't, you can't sing in the base medrash, it's going to distract us from our, everyone from the learning. Now, immediately, my response was, well, we were singing softly, and maybe in my brain I was like, who gives you the right? Is this your bass matters any more than mine? And, you know, I'm the son of a, two lawyers and a rabbi. I was the president of the debate team. I have a lot of arguments in my head. Immediately, you know, I want to go into a defense mode. But to his great praise, my, my student and friend, Daniel, says, oh, you're right, we'll go, we'll go outside. 
And immediately we're all like, yeah, it's a great idea. And so we went outside and we sang outside and it was great. But I think this is a great example of how humility is being able to see things as they really are. And that was Daniel. He was honest. He wasn't worked up about it with ego. He says, yeah, you're actually right. Our singing would distract you in your learning. Let's try to think of a solution. Whereas me, at least in my brain, was caught up in a, you know, a haughtiness and, and, and defense mode and therefore not able to see the truth uh, as, as it really was. Thank God nothing, nothing came of it in this case. But I think it's a great example of the struggle that we all go through, especially when we're, we're attacked. Uh, think of when a policeman pulls you over, really any situation where we feel attacked, um, automatically we go into, I think, uh, defense mode and a little, you know, arrogance, expectations. And it, it's very, it's a, it's a challenge, it's a challenge. So what do we do about this challenge? So three pieces of advice um, that I can offer. First of all, the Gemara, the Gemara says that uh, who's a anav, who's a humble person, like Avram Avinu, once again connecting to Avram, someone who has a set place for davening, and the Gemara also says someone who wakes up for, for nates, for, for the dawn prayers, that's considered a, a humble person. It's kind of interesting. What does humility have to do with, with having a set place to pray? But I, I wonder if the Chazal our rabbis are, are teaching us that prayer is really a huge element um, in having that dialogue with Hashem and kind of externalizing our desires, our thoughts from ourselves, which is what we do when we pray, and just being honest with the situation. Um, and I think that's what prayer does. It can, it can help us really, you know, see things in its proper place. And uh, in addition to the fact that when you pray to God to be better, to be humbler, to be, to be tr our true selves, I think it really, really works. So I would say prayer. I think the idea of Nate is when I'm overcoming my natural desires. My natural desire, of course, is to sleep in. But when I wake up at the break of dawn, I'm, I'm telling my, my, my brain that, you know what, I'm not a body. I'm stronger than my animalistic desires. And I can also overcome my arrogant desires. And you know, I can teach myself, so to speak, uh, through a little discipline to be more in control and not let my, my desires rule over me. Just like you know, a person can teach himself to like uh, coffee if he didn't like it the first time, but eventually it, become, it grows on him. So you can teach yourself to be a humbler person, even if it's not so natural. Um, and, and, and finally, I would advise having good friends, having rabbis, having uh, spouses, mothers, whatever it is, someone to talk things over with. I don't know exactly who Avram Avinu smooths things over with, you know, but uh, maybe his wife. But I do find in my life that when I have someone else to talk things over with, um, it, it really helps me uh, gain perspective. And, and again, to kind of make a rule for myself, never to be reactive, never to immediately respond when I'm in uh, angry or, or triggered mode because almost always I know that the, the correct response will not come out until I've really thought things through and asked myself, what is the Ratzon Hashem? So uh, the, the Dvar Torah is uh, courtesy of Rabbi David Foreman's wonderful insights from alphabeta.org and a bit of Rav Nevensal in his Sefer, Sichos uh, Sefer Midbar. The rest of the thoughts are just my, uh, my random uh, 
not random, but my, uh, my, my ideas, take it or leave it. Hope you enjoyed this podcast, uh, trying a new style, a little bit uh, different. And if you do enjoy it, please let me know. It will encourage me to uh, keep sending it out. And Bezrat uh, Hashem, we will keep sending out halachot and uh, ideas to strengthen our connection to Hashem. Wishing you an amazing Shabbos full of joy. Good Shabbos, good Shabbos from Kalman of the Simcha Center. The goal of this little shear is to give us a little bit of an introduction, a little bit of a biography to each Rebbe, but more because you could really focus on, you could look that up on your own, go to Wikipedia, find their bio. You don't need me for that. The goal is as a group to learn and then to do. To learn Hasidic concepts and also to practice Hasidic concepts. Okay? So what better place to start than the founder of Hasidus, the Baal Shem Tov, of Israel, Baal Shem Tov. Just give us a little bit of context. Baal Shem Tov, of Israel, Baal Shem. I'm forgetting his, his last name, but anyway, anyway, everyone knew him as Baal Shem Tov eventually. And what, uh, he lived in the late 17th century in Poland. And what was unique about him, actually, was his parents. And if we have time, I'll tell you the story about his righteous parents. And not just about his parents, but the fact, actually, that he lost his parents. He lost his parents? He lost his parents. He was an orphan. The Yeah, at least his father, I believe. His father, for sure, he lost at a young age. And he was an orphan boy. Oh, yeah? And so he used to go to the forest. And who did he, who took the place of his father? His father in heaven. And he got extremely close Hashem. to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and he would talk to Kaddish Baruch Hu, and he would sing to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and he would dance to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, and he would learn with a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And this intimate, close connection that he had with the Kaddish Baruch Hu was ultimately what he would end up revolutionizing and bringing to the Jewish people. This concept of Hasidus, which is to put the stress on our loving relationship with the Kaddish Baruch with our with our Tati in, in Shemai. And so it's very appropriate that what the Baal Shem Tov and Hasidus really talks about a lot is tefillah. And so what we're going to continue focusing on today yeah. is the Baal Shem Tov's revolutionary concepts in tefillah. Okay? Sounds like a plan? Yeah. Awesome. So, you know, the Baal Shem Tov lived in a world where people were afraid to stick out. Why is that? Because there's something called the Shabtai Tzvi uh, situation, where there was a false messiah named Shabtai Tzvi that took the Jewish people by Lord by, by storm. And many, many people believed it. Some estimates like 50%. A crazy amount of people believed it. And it turned out to be completely false. He converted to Islam. There was, it was, nothing, was nothing to it. And this is in the aftermath of that, people were afraid of teaching mysticism, of teaching Kabbalah. They said, look what's going to come out of it, the shop that sweet stuff, false messiahs. And instead, they just said, just learn regular Torah. In addition, at that time, there's a huge contrast between the Talmidei Chachamim that were learning very complicated Torah and the simple layman that could oftentimes hardly read, hard, hardly learn Gemara, hardly learn Torah, hardly even read the Siddur sometimes. And while the big Torah scholars, are, you know, had, somehow had the money to learn, were, were 
growing their service of God, the simple people were falling away from Hashem. With that background, we can understand the revolution of the Baal Shem Tov and perhaps why and how he stresses tefillah. Okay? So keeping that in mind, we're going to open up the Baal Shem Tov. And, uh, and uh, he's going to give us some advice about how to get to a place of true dveikas with Hashem. He writes like this in the Sefer Baal Shem Tov. When you see a, dr- a drowning man thrashing about, flailing his arms, and you go to the beach in Tel Aviv, you see this guy drowning and somehow trying to survive. Trying to save himself from the churning river. You certainly will not make fun of his bizarre notions, motions. Likewise, when you see someone moving his body, and gesticulating, gesticulating um, which means you know shaking all over wildly when praying. Don't ridicule him. He's trying to save himself from drowning in distraction that is threatening his prayerful concentration. In other words, the Pashemtov is encouraging his students to shake and move and do whatever you need to do in order to get kavana. Yeah? And the, you can imagine that this is a bit controversial. There were students of the Baal Shem Tov who were literally doing flips, somersaults, in, in, their, in their Amidah, in their Shemona Esrei. Because they were saying that's what's getting them excited about their, about their, about their davening. You can understand why there were people who said, this is not Judaism, this is not normal, this is not uh, halacha. They, they, maybe they took it a bit too far, and they didn't like it. But the Baal Shem Tov is explaining, you know why they're doing this? Because they're drowning. Because we're all drowning in the world of physicality, in the world of the haskalah, of the enlightenment of people who are leaving leaving. Or toward, toward, don't care about each other. Yeah, they were leaving left and right. And I think that the Baal Shem Tov viewed himself as a bit of a lifeguard. Mm. Saving, save, trying to save the Jewish people. And I think maybe that's what he's really saying. And so he's saying, you got, whatever you do, you got to do what you got to do to get connected to Gadish Baruch. And you know, if you think about it, there's actually, the Baal Shem Tov didn't make this up. There's a story in the Gemara about Rabbi Akiva. How he used to start on one side of the, of the, you know, house, and then he would end off on the other side of the fa- of the house, from all of his bowings, his kriyas and mishpachabot, from all. He was going crazy. He was getting into it, you know. And the truth is, a lot of times we're so distracted in our davenings, and we have so many thoughts going on. It's almost like we have to get ourselves to a different place. If the Baal Shem Tov would have met with the Orachim, the Mashiach would have came. Mamish, exactly, and that's why this is so exactly, and that's why it's so special. Uh, tonight, tonight we're learning about the Baal Shem Tov, and right after tomorrow we're going to learn about Orachaim. Yeah. Wow, right? We're, we're yeah. bringing them together. Yeah, we're bringing them together so we can bring Mashiach. Bezrat Hashem, hopefully we'll bring Mashiach. But, you know, this is something that, a Torah that I really, really feel deeply. You know, because I don't always shake like a man, man. But occasionally I'm in the mood especially sometimes on my Friday night davening. And you know, I like to shake. 
And the truth is, I wish I, I would shake more because I, rem- I remember when I was a kid, I used to shake, cover my ears, I would hear myself better. And I would oftentimes really, you know, get into the words of davening more than sometimes nowadays when I'm a little bit more calm. But, you know, once or twice in my life, people would look at me. I remember I think I, once, I was in Tel Aviv, I, I was in like a regular shul, and some guy gave me a He was like, what are you doing shaking? It's not mechubad, it's not respectful to shake before Hashem. And I remember thinking about this Bashem Tov Torah, yeah. and how we're drowning in the world of physicality. And we're drowning in our thoughts. And the Baal Shem Tov saying, you got to do whatever you got to do to get connected to Hashem. You know, be out of the box, go crazy. Yeah. Do, as, obviously, as long as it's within halacha. By the way, I thought of another source. Why not? Why not? I thought of another source. Rabbi Nachman, first of all, talks about serving it with all your body. Serving your that all my body should say, who is God? But um, who else in Tanakh is known for his dancing and serving King Hashem? David? King David, exactly. David Melech. Mm. Michal, his wife, wants to give him a little bit of Mosur. Wants to say, what are you doing? Dancing like a madman. And King, and King David says, you know what? This is for Hashem. It wasn't during his Amidah, but still, he's dancing and crazy and, and doing somersaults in front of the Aron. And he's humbling himself. Whatever you got to do, he's doing it for Kaddish Baruch Hu. There's another amazing story about the Eish Kodesh of Koinim Eskalmi, who we're all connected to. And he writes in his diary, in his amazing Sefer Tzav Vezirus, about how once it was a Hachnasa Sefer Torah. Uh, and he, he felt the desire to dance, to do a somersault uh. in front of the arm, to express something unique, something new in his, uh, in his enthusiasm for serving Hashem. But he was thinking to himself, everyone's going to look at me funny, I'm this big rabbi, you know, how can I do a somersault? Right, uh, he said that? That's what he's thinking, and you know what he said? No, I'm going to do it anyway. And he did the dance. He did the somersault, and he's so proud of himself because he did it for Akadosh Baruch Hu. So, give up. So if yesterday we we're learning about saying the words very slowly and go, going into the teva, into the word, and go, taking every word slowly, now the Baal Shem Tov is saying sometimes you need to just go crazy. Get your body into it so that your mind can really focus on the words of Tefillah. save the Jews in LA. Alright, we have, let's learn one more Torah. We have five minutes left. Yeah. Let's learn one more Torah. And this is actually not from the Baal Shem Tov specifically, but it very much connects to what we were talking about yesterday. It's from the Nefesh Chaim, who's also drawing upon Kabbalistic sources. And, uh, and he talks about not just saying every word with intention, but saying every letter of every word with intention. Mamish putting your neshama into every letter. So I thought this is a very good hashlama completion of the Baal Shem Tov that we learned yesterday. So I'll try to, it's in Nefesh Chaim Sharbet Yud Gimel. Let me try to find it for us. This is the main thing when you're davening. At the time 
when I'm saying every word of davening, or every word of, uh, of, uh, of brachos, Yitzayer lo b'machshavto, oto ateva boti oteha. Imagine, put a picture in your brain of all of the letters of that word. You see the word Baruch. Beit Reish Vav Chaf in your head, in your mind's eye. Kitsurata with its forms. Ulachaven lo sifa yada koach akdusha. And imagine it, the fire of holiness. She has said, Pri lamala. Bring fruit above. And to bring extra holiness and light into it, into the words. Every single word that was written by the Anche Knesset Agdola with their Ruach HaKodesh, with their Nevuah, is extremely powerful. It's like an explosion for our soul. And when we say it, with kavana, it opens up huge channels of bracha from the heavenly worlds down to our world. Okay? Like, like the Baal Shem Tov was saying. Okay? But he's giving us a specific Eitzah to imagine it in your brain and every, every letter of every word. Every letter of every word. Again. A person can go crazy. He's going to have a four-hour Shemon Esrei if, yeah. uh, if uh, he does this every day. So... Start with the first brach of Shmon Esrei. Maybe when you're saying a shakal, you could try this once in a while. Or maybe just on a Friday night when, you know, when you have all the time in the world. I don't know if this is so practical every single uh, mark. We're about to dive in. But uh, maybe on Shabbos. So much to think. Bezrat Hashem. So then, Yitzayir lo b'machshavdav. Okay. And if you do this, you're going to do amazing things. And it's a checked. It works. It mamish works. People who do it, it always works. If you get used to doing it, if you put yourself in the habit of doing it. You get rid of all the negative thoughts, all the distracting thoughts that might distract us. And that take us away from Kavana. And the more you do this, you'll add on more tara in, 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 in your tefillah. And it's a simple kavana. We'll wrap up our little, uh, little Baal Shem Tov Chabura for, for today. And, our, and again, the homework is, is simple. Tonight, i.e. in three minutes from now, when we dive in Marev, in your Shemona Esrei, or in, when you say Shema Yisrael, every letter, every word, imagine it in your mind's eye. Say it with breath, add light, add holiness. And we will see the, the, the floodgates of, uh, of true Kavanah and Dveikos flow into our lives. Every letter, at least, for try it for a sentence. And then uh, we'll check back with each other. Sounds good? Okay, let's end with a nigan. I die, 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 I die